The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. Uh, I want to get into the Word this morning. Excited to do that. Really enjoy every time that we come together and expect really great things. Uh, it's good to have expectation. If you don't have expectation, uh, then, then there's really no hope. And when you come together or we get together, what I want there to be inside of each one of us is an anticipation for God to do something great. And it sounds kind of like a strange way to think or a strange way to live to some, but I can't think of any other way to live that wouldn't be absolutely miserable. I mean, I want to have expectation for God to do things in my life all the time. And, and I think when you take that on as a, a way of thinking, it can change uh, the way we see life. It can change the decisions that we make. It can change the way that we deal with people, especially in moments of provocation or frustration. And if you're like me, you have a few of those on occasion. And uh, I, I want to, to encourage you to anticipate God's doing something all the time. And especially this morning, it's no different. You know, we're going to get into the scripture here. You'll, uh, you'll hear the word. But I want you to anticipate God doing something specifically for you. Not just us together, but specifically for you. Uh, here's a few things that you can look forward to as we get into the Word. These are things you can write them down, jot them down, look forward to them. Always encourage note-taking. Think that's a great uh, habit to be in. Uh, it allows you to revisit things and, uh, and examine them in your own time. Uh, one thing we're going to find is what you're always going to have enough of. Now, let me tell you something. It might not be what you are anticipating because I've been in my share of church services where you, you hear about the grace of God and the provisions of the kingdom of God and those things being sufficient. Something like Paul would write, like his grace is sufficient for me, meaning it's always enough, right? Or there's something else in the scripture that you're always going to have enough of, and it's good to see that in the word uh, so that you uh, are uh, aware of it when it comes your way. Another thing that you're going to find is who they are and why they need you. I mean, I, I don't know if you're familiar with they, but they are out there, right? I mean, you'll just hear people talk about things, they'll say things, and they'll just be kind of this empty void of identity with groups and, and people groups, and uh, it, it leaves things very vague and open-ended. Uh, I was on a, a job site doing some work, and somebody walked by and just said, she said you can't do that. And I just thought, well, if she said it, I better, I better respond, right? I mean, I don't want any trouble with her. Right? She scares me. But I'm, I actually asked, who is she? Who are you talking about? Don't leave it vague like that. Well, there are some things in the scripture that aren't meant to be vague. There are they's and them's and there are groups. And the more we know about they and them, uh, the better we are equipped to uh, minister to and, and, and interact with them and all of those who fall in that category. Uh, another thing you're going to find is, uh, what to do with worry and why. What to do with worry and why you can handle it this way. And that's a really important thing. I mean, it's a, if you are, are like me, you'll deal with uh, challenging situations that can produce moments of worry or anxiety. And when you deal with those things, uh, knowing the proper way to deal with them can be the difference between success and failure. And you have a call on your life to be successful. I mean, you have tremendous success inside of you, in your heart, and in your mind, and it's released through your actions and your attitudes and your words. And the choices and decisions that we make have a profound effect on whether success 
uh, is, is the end result. So I want to get into the word here. I told you you're going to find what you always are going to have enough of. We'll start there. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to uh, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 34. We've looked at this passage in the past with some other messages. We're going to use it to lay a little base again this morning as we move forward. So what you're always going to have enough of, that means uh, there's going to be plenty of it. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Jesus is talking. Now, here's one of the things I like to do. I've told you before, I'm a little bit funny. I mean, when I read the scripture and I see Jesus talking, I, I like to, to consider that he's talking to me, that he's just speaking directly to me. And, and so when I read this passage of scripture, what that does is it makes this matter to me. It's not just something that he said to a group of people that I'm completely uh, separated from, but rather it positions me to listen better. To, to actually take the words that he's saying and see that they apply to my life, not just some faceless crowd that I have no connection to 2,000 years ago. But when you consider that these words are being spoken for you and to you, it opens up your heart and your mind to receive them as direction and counsel for your life. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, Jesus is speaking to us, and this is what he says. He says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough, there's that word, trouble of its own. I told you the first thing we're going to find here is, is what you're going to have enough of, and what you're going to have enough of is trouble. Now, this kind of a situation, I like to change the word because trouble to me means that something was done wrong, right? When I was a kid, if I broke the rules, I got in trouble, yeah. So I like to substitute a word here, not to change the meaning of the scripture, but to actually make it mean more. I mean, I like to consider like a word like problems, right? Because when I was a kid and, and broke the rules, I, I didn't get, I wasn't in problems, I was in trouble. So I don't want my brain to associate this with, with some kind of failure on my part. I want my brain to associate this with what exists in the world that I live in. And what exists in the world that I live in is a lot of problems. I mean, I had an interesting work week, right, where there were a lot of activities. Some of those things were new and exciting, and, and it brought with it some interesting challenges. And almost every single day had a, a significant amount of problems, things that went wrong, things that, that were unforeseen, or they didn't go as planned, and that would fall in the went wrong category. But we all deal with things that we would just put in the category of problematic. It's a problem. Not a person in the room that would say, well, I don't have any problems. So that means this applies to everybody. So when you take this passage of scripture and you make that little adjustment, it, it kind of helps it to, to apply to day-to-day -day life. So if Jesus made that slight adjustment here, it would read like this. Uh, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough problems of its own. Now this word here is, is an interesting thing to think about. I mean, you can take that, read it, and just think all Jesus is saying is that every day is going to have problems in it. But I like to consider that, that Jesus doesn't speak casually. You know, he, he's not, it's, it's not a, a statement that's being made that he might look back on and think, well, that sounded pretty good. Write that down, right? But he's saying this very specifically. He's intentionally telling you that every day is going to have enough problems. And that's weird to me, not for the idea that there's problems every day, but that there's enough. That's a funny word, right? I mean, what does the word enough mean to you? I'm not asking you to say anything out loud, but do think about it. Why would he say every day is going to have enough problems? 
I mean, if we were eating in here, right, which we'll eat Wednesday, hopefully we'll have some food, sit down, play some games, and, and have a good time. If, if everybody were satisfied, everyone got to eat, and everyone was satisfied, we could say there was enough food. It would mean that the quantity was sufficient. It was just what it needed to be. And when Jesus is talking about problems in my day, what he's saying is, hey, I promise you this, every day we'll have enough problems. Enough for what? It makes me stop and ask myself, is this on purpose? The answer is absolutely yes. I mean, all of these challenges that are coming towards you are, 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 have a, a tremendous purpose, and they have multiple purposes. Some of them are because other people need you, and they need your help. Some of them are because we need to grow and mature. And the only way that you'll grow and mature is deal with those difficult situations and circumstances. When I start to look at my day, and I know it's going to have enough problems, my prayer in this situation isn't, God, get rid of all of my problems. It's, God, let these problems do what they're supposed to do. If I have enough of them, enough to grow and mature, enough to help the people that I, I, I work with and I deal with and I face and I, I interact with, then, then let enough happen. Let enough happen every single day. And let me start to see that these problems might be planned, that there might be some thought behind them in order to bring about that health and that ministry that you've called me to in my life. Uh, there's something that we need to address here that problems bring, and there's two ways to look at problems. You either think about it as, as one who brings the solution, or you think about it as one who needs the solution. That's it. There's only two ways to deal with problems. You either are the solution or you need the solution. And, and Jesus has equipped us with everything that we need to be the one that has the solution. And a great way to identify which side of that line that you're standing on is the presence of worry, the presence of anxiety, the presence of, of fear and, and frustration. Problems are going to be there. In fact, you're going to have enough of them, according to the word. The question is, how do you feel when the problems come? When the problem comes, do you get mad? Do you get angry? Do you get fearful? Do you, are you filled with worry? Or do you see the problem and begin to examine yourself for what solution do I carry for this problem? That's the perspective that the Christian ought to have. Now, the challenge is we don't always have that. We can become tired or frustrated or weary. We, could, we can just simply be lazy or even uh, mildly forgetful of the authority that we walk in as Christians, you know, or um, just backslide, so to speak, and, and fall into anger. And there's all kinds of situations that, that can be destructive when problems rise. But if we can stay focused on the truth, the truth that you carry the solution to every problem that you face. In fact, those problems are planned. There's enough of them. Enough of them to accomplish what God's doing that day and what God's doing in that moment. It can really shift your perspective. And if we find that we're on the worry side, that side that's filled with anger and frustration, that side that's filled with fear, if we find that we're on the worry side, we can take comfort in knowing that Jesus deals with this. He knows this is going to be an issue for us, and so he talks about it. And I think that's really comforting. Not just that he talks about it so that I can know I'm wrong when it happens, but so that I know he talks about it so that I can know I'm normal when it happens. That there's nothing wrong with me when a problem arises and I meet it with worry. That's a normal reaction. Now, the, I need to leave that normal reaction behind and begin to function in that supernatural uh, empowerment that God's brought into my life. But that normal reaction is something that shouldn't be a, a, a measure of frustration or difficulty. Rather, it should identify that I need to make an adjustment. I need to make a change. 
Jesus talks about worry, and he tells us to avoid worry. He gives us instruction how to avoid it. I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture. You're going to write this down for your notes, and we're not going to read the whole thing, but I want to encourage you to read it when you get time. You'll find it in Matthew chapter 6, and there's about 10 verses of Scripture here all back to back, which doesn't sound like much, but when you read 10 verses of Scripture in front of a group, it's a mouthful, right? You, found out that you find out that you are not as literate as you thought you once were, and you need to get hooked on phonics, right? So I, I'm going to be careful and avoid that trap. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want to paraphrase it to you, and I want to give you the, the point. Now, Jesus is talking about problems coming your way and the worry that might come from it, and he begins to say this when he opens up in verse 25 here in Matthew 6. For this reason I say to you, don't be worried about your life. I mean, I can just stop right there and say, if I'm going to underline anything in my Bible, that's a candidate for, for something to be underlined, right? If I'm going to put a little circle or a star by it. Don't be worried about your life. What a great word of encouragement from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What a great encouragement from Jesus Christ to you. If Jesus were to walk in this room and look you in the eye and just say, son, daughter, don't be worried about your life. You want to know how liberating that would be. And he, here he is doing it. He's speaking, and he's speaking to you. Don't be worried about your life. He goes on to talk about issues in life and how much God loves you and how much you're worth in the eyes of God and that there's no need to be worried. He makes a couple of comments that are, are really worth noting. I want to give you those right here from the uh, verses 33 and 34. He goes on to continue to encourage not to worry. He says, do not worry. He goes, he goes on to say that that's what the world does, but you're not like the world. Consider your heavenly father. He knows what you need. And he goes on to say this in verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. All these things are the things that you need. And it's an interesting passage of scripture, and I've, I've quoted it to myself often because I've dealt with challenging situations where I needed to see some provision made, some act of God to enter in to bring about a solution. And, and I've had to remind myself that I have a call on my life to seek God's kingdom and just trust that all of that is going to work. Now, that's kind of a wordy way to say it, and, and it's a little bit poetic, and it's because I'm up here speaking, you know, before you. The reality is this is manifest, and it'll work out. That's kind of how I say it often, you know, you're dealing with people and stuff. If my wife had a nickel for every time she's heard it'll work out, she'd probably have mm, 150 bucks, you know. <laughs> it'll work out. I say it a lot. It'll work out. It'll work out. And I can tell you that drives her nuts because she's wired like she wants to know how it's going to work out, which can't, uh, can't falter for that. That's a, a personality type that's really important and valuable to have around. But the, the mentality of the believer, when we consider this passage of Scripture, that when we do what we're supposed to be doing, when we're seeking God and putting him first, it will work out. It's a wonderful thing to consider that God's provided this liberation, but now I need to make this a real-life action and not just some word of poetry that's meant to encourage. What does it mean to seek first his kingdom? I can quote that all day long, but how do you do it? How do you seek first the kingdom of God? I mean, it's not necessarily a place that you visit. It's not a location. It's, it's not a place that you could go and apply for citizenship and carry a passport, but rather the kingdom of God is everywhere where Jesus is in charge. It's the domain of a king. 
It's the king's domain or the kingdom. And when I put Jesus in charge of the things that I deal with and the things that I face, I'm seeking first his kingdom, meaning I'm seeking his direction. What is his counsel? How would he handle this? And when we begin to do that, we find ourselves fulfilling the scripture, seeking first the kingdom of God and opening up the door for all of the wonderful provision that God's promised to come to pass. And then this is where that passage of scripture that we opened with is found. When we come to that place where we seek Jesus first, his counsel, his direction, his advice in how to do it, we come to that place where we see Jesus say, then don't worry. Don't worry. Tomorrow will take care of itself. That's Jesus' way of saying it'll work out. And he goes on to say each day has enough problems of its own. Once again, enough for what? Enough for God to accomplish what he set out to do, to grow your faith and to expand your, your trust in the anointing that he's placed upon your life to do things, to succeed, to carry solution where there's problem and to minister to those around you who are suffering. Now, here's a couple of passages of scripture as it concerns worry. You know, when worry comes up, when we're not, when we're not putting God's kingdom first and fear and anxiety and worry begin to be manifest in our life, there's a couple of things that we can be uh, aware of. Uh, one, I think worry has a source. Now, there might be some pushback on this passage of scripture. I'm just going to read it, and you can either be on board in the same way that I am with it, or you can have your own view. That's up to you. But I'm going to let the word speak for itself here. It's from the Psalms. It comes from Psalm 38. It's verse 18. So the psalmist is writing here, and he says this. He says, uh, I, I confess my iniquity. I mean, it's a, it's a fancy word for consistent or constant sin, like when sin becomes a lifestyle, right? I confess my iniquity. And then it goes on to say, I am full of worry because of my sin. I mean, you can take that passage of Scripture and you can just read right past it real quick and it means absolutely nothing to you. Or you can take this and realize, hang on a second, I don't like worry. I don't like living in a state of anxiety and fear. I don't like worry. And if I see that worry has a cause, I want to eliminate that cause. And when we see this passage of Scripture, we can see this confession of iniquity, then this statement, I'm full of worry because of my sin. If I want to cut worry out of my life, I need to cut those unrighteous, rebellious acts out of my life. I want to intentionally close the door to sin and corruption. Praise God for the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace that's found in the blood of Jesus that I can be pardoned from those things and celebrate the eternal wonders of holiness. But right now, living here on the earth, I want the cause and effect to be removed from my life. Those rebellious, corrupt activities bringing about the worry, the anxiety, and the fear that they carry with them into my life, I want to close the door to that. When I find I'm in a constant state of worry, I ask myself, is there any presence of rebellion or sin in my life that I need to close the door to? If I find that I'm in a constant position or state of anxiety, where, where I feel that my thoughts are corrupted, where I'm finding that I'm not thinking solutions-oriented, but I'm being led by fear or anxiety, I'll stop and ask God in my prayer time, Father, will you search my heart? Is there anything inside of me that I've allowed in that I need to get out? I want to eliminate the cause for that worry so that that worry won't affect and steer and direct all of my decisions and my choices, my words and my attitudes. 
And here's why. Because this worry and this anxiety doesn't produce anything good. There's absolutely nothing good that comes from it. I'll give you a passage of Scripture here. And this passage of Scripture will be used for a couple of things. One, it'll tell you what worry produces. Two, it can identify if we're being led by worry. Let me read it to you and I'll explain both of those. Uh, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25. Proverbs 12, 25, it says, Worry in a man's heart weighs it down. Worry in a man's heart weighs it down. I want to stop there and just mention the, the two directions we can interpret that. Not that the two are absolute, there may be more, but these are two I want to offer to you. Worry in a man's heart weighs it down. One, that tells me why I don't want to have worry in my life. If worry is going to weigh my heart down, I don't want that. I want to close the door to that. I want to see that, that rebellious activity and that sinful activity that would open the door for worry out of my life because I don't want my heart weighed down. Now, the other perspective is we can examine our heart. Is my heart weighed down? Do I feel the, the, the sinking weight of oppression and the resulting depression that comes from it as an active part of my life? And if the answer to that is yes, then I don't need to lose hope, but I need to realize, hey, now that I, I know the source of these things, I can begin to make the choices and the decisions to begin to have a, a wonderful and powerful effect against this oppression and against the resulting depression that is affecting how I feel and how I think and how I relate to everyone around me. I can begin to search my heart for those open doors of rebellion and sinful activity that would make way for anxiety and worry to prevail that will result in the weighing down of my heart, and I can put a stop to it. It's like the falling dominoes. You start tipping one, and the other falls, and the other falls, and the other falls. And when we can examine our heart and begin to realize and reveal the presence of oppression in our heart, we can begin to seek out and close the door for the, the, the sinful, the rebellious, and all of those other places where that worry and anxiety enters in. And the result is freedom and life. The result is, is a joy. And the result is peace. I want to give you a passage of scripture where I told you that we would find out who they are and why they need you. Well, the world is filled with they. In fact, I, I've been one of them before. You've been one of them before. I want to give you this passage of scripture for the message and for your notes. It's a wonderful passage to read in your own time and ask God, how can this become a part of my life? Isaiah chapter 35, I want to give you verses 2 through 6. Isaiah 35, 2 through 6. It opens with they. So you're about to, to hear about they. They will see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. I'm going to stop right there, okay, because we're going to read the whole thing. So most of the time there's this anticipation and this desire to jump ahead, but sit tight and consider this. They will see the glory of God. They will see the majesty of God. They will see the glory of the Lord. There's something there that we need to uh, uh, analyze and that we need to understand before we move forward. If they will see it, that means they're not seeing it now, Right? You will eat lunch. You're not eating now. They will see the glory of God. They will see the glory of the Lord, but they're not seeing it now. If somebody were to ask me, hey, Preston, who is they in this passage here? I would say it's everyone who's not seen the glory of God. 
Everyone who's only seen the problems, the corruption, the destruction, the perversion, and the rebellion that's in this world, everyone who's only seen that, and the, the people that are yet to see the freedom and the liberty and the mercy and the grace and the power and the strength and the authority of the kingdom of God, that's who they are. And then you'll see in this passage of Scripture that they need you. Let me, let me continue to read here. They will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Now here's where you come in. Our call, your call, is to encourage the exhausted, strengthen the weak. Say to those that worry, take courage and fear not. Behold, God will come and God will care for you. It goes on to say, God will save you. And then you see the result of this ministry to worry that comes from you to them. The result is this. Then the eyes of the blind will be open and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap up like deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy and waters will break out in dry places. Then they will see the glory of the Lord. They won't be limited by all of the corruption that's in this world any longer, but they will be set free from that all because we... The believer, the Christian, you, me, minister to their worry. I mean, you can read this in your own time, and I want you to, and I want this to actually be something you carry with you into your prayer time to just ask God, God, how can I bring this to them? Those who haven't seen your glory, let me be a, a living, walking, breathing testimony of your goodness, and let me carry your ministry into their lives. Because without it, they'll never see. They'll stay in that place of darkness. I want those eyes that are blind to be open and those ears that can't hear to be open. I want those, those legs that are, are lame to be loosed. I want those who are in bondage to be free. And I can tell you why. Because my eyes were blind. At one time, my ears were deaf. At one time, I was lame. And it was only seeing God's glory that opened up my awareness to a whole other way of life, a life filled with joy, a life filled with peace and the stability, the strength of God's kingdom, to not be bound and led by worry and fear and anxiety, but to be set free and living a life of stability. I want to give you a couple of passages here as we close, and they're going to come with this in mind, how we need to deal with the worry that's around us, whether it's in your life or in the lives of those around you. And we're going to find something real specific in this passage of Scripture that's kind of a, a one-word answer to the question, how do I deal with worry? And I want to read this passage to you, and we'll identify that, that one-word answer in just a moment. So it comes from the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, I want to read verses uh, 4 through 9. I mean, this is a long stretch, right? So we're about to find out. Uh, just how uh, uh, capable of a reader I am. So beginning in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And let your gentle spirit be known before all, that the Lord is near. Now that's kind of what we prayed for our kids here, that they would always remember God's near. He's close by and he's willing to help. Let your gentle spirit be made known to all, that the Lord is near. And then don't worry about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. 
It goes on to say, finally, whatever is true and whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of anything that's worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And let the things that you've learned and received from the scripture, the things that you've heard and that you've seen in the teacher, practice these things and the peace of God will be with you. I mean, it's kind of a mouthful to read. I want to just give you the one word answer to dealing with worry. And we'll find it when we look closer to the earlier part of what we read there. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be made known to all that the Lord is near. Be anxious or worry for nothing. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. There's one element there that I think is the most important element. If you can bring this element into your life, it will change the way you handle worry in your own life and in the lives of those around you. And if somebody were to ask me, hey, Preston, what do you think the most powerful word is in that whole paragraph? I'd say thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. It's hard to worry when you're grateful, isn't it? It's hard to be ruled by anxiety when you're thankful. It's hard for fear to prevail when there's gratitude present. And I think it's an interesting thing to think about because I've been in lots of situations where there was room to worry and I've prayed, right? But I was still worried. I've been in very few situations where I've been grateful and worry remained. When gratitude comes pouring into your life, when it's released through your words and when it's invited into your thoughts, there's no room left for worry to prevail. I mean, if I took this passage of Scripture and wanted to get worry out of my life, I would begin to ask God, Father, make me a grateful man. Let me tell you something, that is a dangerous prayer to pray. Every time I've prayed it, I've been reminded what all I have to be grateful for. And you know that saying, you don't know what you got till it's gone? That can be how you learn gratitude. But the result of gratitude is well worth it. To come into a place where gratitude prevails in your heart and in your mind is to be equipped to go into any situation, any circumstance. You can go into the deepest, darkest hole in this world and step into the most powerful measure of poverty that you've ever engaged in your life, and you can be effective. Effective for God's kingdom we can be grateful leaving no room for worry no room for fear no room for anxiety if we were to close this message with one desire one request you know one prayer father let this take place in everyone in the room may God give us grateful hearts give us grateful hearts bring to our mind all that we have to be thankful for I want to offer these uh, passages to you in closing before we pray that prayer Here's a passage of scripture from Psalms 94. It's verse 19. It says, when I begin to worry, when worry rises up in my heart, when worry takes over my mind, your consolation delights my soul. Consolation is a weird word, but it's basically God's way of responding to you in your state of worry. What does God say about you? I want to offer to you what God says about you. You'll find this in Isaiah 41. Verses 9 and 10. If you were to write down a passage of scripture and maybe stick it on your refrigerator door, write it down, put it on, you know, the rearview mirror in your car, not so you can't see, but just so you can see it a lot. 
Just some place where he can be in front of your eyes, where you can remind yourself constantly how God feels about you. Let these words touch your heart today. Isaiah 41, beginning in verse 9. This is God speaking to you. I've chosen you and not rejected you. How destructive rejection is. And he would look at you and he'd say, I've chosen you and not rejected you. Don't fear for I'm with you. And don't worry and look around you, but know that I'm God. And I will strengthen you and I will surely help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's a word from the Lord for you. That's God's word to you. Should he speak anything to you today, let it be that. That's how he feels about you. And when that enters into your life, there's no room for worry. Read this passage of scripture to you in closing. I told you we're going to find what to do with worry and why we can do this. It comes from 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5, it's verses 6 and 7. Verses 6 and 7, here's how it reads. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that God can exalt you at the proper time. And then verse 7 says this, Cast all your worry on him because he cares for you. Pretty powerful passage of scripture without any breakdown or without any explanation, just standing by itself. It's encouraging. But I want to offer a a little bit of a, a, a deeper dive as we close with this. The idea that we can cast our worry onto God because he cares for us and what that means. Now, it's the word cares that can be the biggest hang-up. It's the, the point where this is either highly effective or just kind of a generic message, right? I think care is probably a word that we use a lot in our vocabulary. I mean, we'll, we'll have something uh, take place, and, and most of the time we'll use the word care followed by the words, I don't. I don't care. I don't care. Hey, uh, do you mind if I eat this? I don't care. Hey, do you mind if I use this? I don't care. Hey, do you mind if we go over here? I don't care. How many times a day do you think the average human being says, I don't care? And then consider this, that the idea of care in your mind would be attached to I don't. But the idea that we can hand every single worry and all fear and all anxiety over to God is because he does care makes me want to look up the word care and reacquaint myself with the definition of care. And I pulled it up during worship on my phone. Typed in care definition. You want to know what popped up? Man, let this bless you. The provision of what is needed for health, welfare, maintenance, or protection. I can give all of my worry over to God because he's promised to give the provision of what is needed for health, Welfare, maintenance, or protection. Kind of makes that passage of scripture that you can give him your worry because he cares for you mean a little bit more, doesn't it? I can give all of my worry, I can give all of my anxiety, I can give all of my fear over to him because God's promised to make provision for what's needed in my health, in my welfare, and all maintenance and protection. You don't have to worry about anything because God cares for you. We can take all the worry and all the anxiety and all the fear that would come our way and hand it right over to him and trust that he will fulfill his promise 
and provide everything that's needed for our well-being. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray, and that prayer is going to be for that grateful heart. What more could there be to be grateful for than the promise of a Heavenly Father who will care for you, will make that needed provision in every aspect of your living? I want to pray for a gratitude, that gratitude and a new awareness of, of what care means and the fact that God's promised to bring that into my life. Everywhere you stand, you're welcome to be in you know, an attitude of agreement or simply receiving because I, I want to pray and I want to believe and trust that God is going to do something for every single one of us. There's no more powerful minister in the room than the Holy Spirit himself. And it's God's spirit that's doing this work inside of us, affecting how we feel about things in our heart and how we think about things in our mind and then altering how we do things with our body, the choices and the decisions that we make. So I want to pray. You're welcome to be in agreement or receiving however you choose, but either way, I'm trusting that God's going to do something great. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that you've promised to bring into our life, to change us and to set us apart from how the world appears and acts. Let us be changed and set apart. In the midst of chaos and in the midst of trouble and problems, that we wouldn't be led and steered by anxiety and fear and anger and worry, but that we would stand out as different. That we could trust and know with grateful hearts that you've promised to care for us. Let us stand on that promise. Let it forever be in front of our eyes. That all of our thoughts would be filtered through the truth that you care for me. That you care for us. And let every thought be captured. Make it surrender to the truth that you will make provision for all of our needs that you will take care of us in every way imaginable. And let it lead us to a place of bringing all worry to you. We would truly be those with grateful hearts, thankful for all that you've blessed us with, and equipped to seek your kingdom first, to seek after your direction and your counsel, to do things the way in which you would instruct, and let the door be closed to fear, the door be closed to anxiety, the door be closed to worry. And let our lives be opened up to the wonders of joy and peace, to the wonders of revival, that we would be equipped to encourage those around us who are filled with worry, that not only would our eyes be open, that our ears would be open, and that we would rise up with strength, but that we would be used by you to open the eyes of those around us, to see their ears, hear your voice, and to see them strengthened by what's true the truth that you care for us, beyond just acknowledging that you like us, but to know that you love us, that you will make provision in every aspect of our life to see victory. We thank you and we rejoice in this. Let it forever change how we think. Let it change how we behave and perform. And let it change how we worship. That we would truly be a people that would have grateful hearts, that our mouths would be filled with thanksgiving, and that we would freely rejoice at the wonders that you brought into our life through Jesus. 
We thank you for victory over all worry. We thank you, Father, for all that you've promised to do. We rejoice that you care for us. We bless your name and thank you in Jesus' mighty name. All the saints declare it. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.